When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the fifth season of the Combustion Chronicles podcast, where bold leaders combined with big ideas to make life better for all of us. I'm your host, Sean Nason, CEO and founder of Mofi. In these episodes, we'll be exploring the power, influence, and importance of experience ecosystems. To do that, we're bringing together the most unique and influential experience experts in the world for honest conversations about not being okay with the status quo, leading with heart, and getting real about heart sets and mindsets. In case you're wondering, an experience ecosystem is the web of people, touch points, and interactions that combine to create all of the positive and negative experiences we have in the world. When an organization wants to improve customer experience, they're wasting their time if they're not willing to engage and humanize their entire experience ecosystem. It's time to blow up some silos and ignite an experience revolution by putting people first. On this episode, we have Joe Pine, an internationally acclaimed author, speaker, and management advisor. He has addressed the World Economic Forum, was part of the original TED Conference in California, and the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. A lecturer in Columbia University's Technology Management Program, and he co-founded Strategic Horizons, LLP, to help businesses conceive and design new ways of adding value to their economic offerings. A prolific writer, Joe is most famous for his 1999 book, The Experience Economy, which was updated in 2011 and re-released in hardcover in 2020 with new ideas on competing for customer time, attention, and money, topics we will all get into today. We couldn't be more delighted to have him here. Welcome, Joe, to the Combustion Chronicles. Thanks, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Joe, I have been familiar with your work for a lot of years. I read, I think, the 1999 version of the Experience Economy. So I know we're going to jump into the new updated, re-released hardcover in 2020. And it's really been instrumental to my thinking and how experience happens within organizations. But first, we'd love to know a little bit about what makes you tick, Joe. And I have a fun question for you. You give such clear and well thought out business advice. Does it ever get tiring telling industries all the things they are doing wrong? Or do you love it? <laughs> no, I absolutely love it. I love it. And, and, and companies do so many things wrong. It's just unbelievable. So yeah, no, I love it. It's been a wonderful thing. I've been, you know, I started off at, uh, you know, as a technical guy at IBM and then uh, uh, got into uh, management and strategy and started writing business books and, and left in 93. So it's been uh, 28 years this month, right? This month, 28 years Holy this cow. month. Since I've been uh, doing this, and my wife's still not sure it's going to work out, but so far, so good. Well, you know, you must have started when you were like 12, so congratulations. <laughs> okay, so, you know, I can't leave this untouched, though, Joe. Like, what are the top three things that you think companies are doing wrong? 
Well, one is they are sticking with old ways of doing things when there's so many wonderful new possibilities, specifically where their goods and services are being commoditized. And they don't recognize that there's this great new opportunity out there to be able to stage experiences, to go beyond their goods and services, to subsume their goods and services into uh, experiences. And then secondly, related to that is, and this is, this is probably even more of the issue because, because a lot of companies are doing well in that, but more of the issue is that they think that doing CX will get them to stage a great experience, which it, which it doesn't. You know, CX is about, as it's commonly used anyway, there are exceptions, but as most people talk about CX, I mean, let's make our interactions with customers nice and easy and convenient. Well, that never rises to the level of memorability. CX just gets you a great service. It doesn't get you a, a true distinctive uh, experience that creates that memory inside of people. And then thirdly is that they that whether they're doing good services or even experiences, they still do it for the masses. They don't recognize that every individual human being is unique and deserves to get exactly what they want at a price they're willing to pay. And so they continue to mass produce these things. You know, I know you're an ex-Disney Imagineer, Sean, and, and I worked with Disney, you know, 15, 20 years ago in, in Walt Disney World. And that's one of the things I hammered home was the fact that it's such a mass-produced experiences that you don't care about any individual person or family unit or group that is there. And, uh, and that's one of the things that, as people took that to heart, that led to the magic band that allowed them to at least first identify each individual guest and then mass customize to them. That's pretty funny, Joe. I had no idea you were part of the magic band thing because I was part of the team that helped prototype that and launch that. So that's kind of funny. But I, what I love about what you said, and one of our we believe statements at Mophi is that you'll lose your way if you fail to lead with love. You'll win if you make every human feel like a VIP. And so I love what you're saying there around the individual approach. I love the fact that you just called out that checking the box around CX is not going to make you have a great experience. And, you know, mostly we talk about this experience ecosystem, and I think it aligns great with the experience economy. So how does your book, The Experience Economy, help brands better understand how to interact with their customers and really win their loyalty? Well, it does uh, hasten to add that, that we didn't invent the experience economy. We just discovered what companies were naturally doing, of course, with Disney as the world's premier experience stager, but thousands upon thousands of companies that went beyond their goods and services. And that's the, the key for brands is to, is to recognize that, you think of it this way, is that goods are about the transaction, right? You use the word interaction, that's, that's, that's good for services. But with experiences, it's really about the encounter, right? It's about the encounter that you have that does create that memory inside of people. And, and so the book talks about all these different ways to be able to do that with, of course, the, the, the most compelling or remarkable experiences, those that incorporate all of it. And in, in the re-release of the book that we did last year, we, we sort of put it in the context of, of think of these five elements of experiences, right? So if brands want to create great experiences, you need to make them robust, cohesive, personal, dramatic, and even transformative. And those are the key things that companies must do 
to create that experience within people, then get them to want to come back to you time and time again. So you said you bucketed in the new book into five categories. Can you tell those five categories again? The robust, cohesive, personal, dramatic, and even transformative. Wow, that is some powerful stuff there. Let's go back in the original book subtitle, Work is Theater and Every Business a Stage. How does everyone, Joe, play a part in pulling off a good production and a good experience? Well, the, the first thing to recognize that that in fact, your work is theater, right? And it's not a metaphor. I don't mean work as theater. I literally mean your work is theater, that whenever you are in front of customers, you're on stage, right? You think about Disney and cast members and, and being on stage with everyone in the park. And so you have to act in a way that engages the audience, right? Whatever your business is, right? When you're in front of customers, you're on stage and you also have to do it as an ensemble. Right. So you think about playing a part, you've got your part to play, but you also have to be with everyone else's and, and how they're doing their part. It reminds me of I did work with the MGM Grand in Las Vegas many years ago and got to uh, see their their audition, not their, you know, their hiring mechanism it was an audition. They they brought a group of people like 20 people on stage and they literally put them on stage. All the management and folks are down below in the audience. And they give them a, a set of tasks. You know, one is to introduce, you know, so they pair you up and say, we want to introduce the other person. And then we want you to be able to do a dance move, right? And then when they came time to do this, they only cared about two things, right? One, are you willing to do the dance move? Right? It doesn't matter how well or whatever, right? You just, you're willing to get out there and recognize, okay, it's okay to be uh, be on stage with people. And then two is they also didn't care about, about how well you introduced the other person. What they cared about is, did you listen to everybody else, right? If, if you're just sitting there, just like going over your lines about how you're gonna introduce, you wanna do that really well, and you're, you're not listening to what other people are doing, then they don't want you there because they know you're not gonna be a good part of the ensemble. Right. You got to you got to play your role. That means understanding everything that's going on in the entire production. I found it fascinating around that audition. And you mentioned the MGM Grant. I just I saw where the new CEO for the Fremont Street Experience um, in Las Vegas. Um, you know, they have the zip line going through there. Right. The part of the interview is people had to actually do the zip line because they wanted them to audition and experience it. So I love right. that. All right, well, um, that means I'd be out, but okay. <laughs> it's, still, it's still a great thing. What I love about what you were saying, and, you know, obviously being a previous cast member myself is, you know, I worked backstage. I was not on stage, but I was taught and trained as if I was on stage. And I think that's the premise of what you were saying there is, even though you may not be on stage, you're really on stage. So, Joe, you've pointed out, that today people can drop out of any experience by picking up their smartphone. And so you have to be better than the smartphone to grab people's attention. Is it better to try to compete with smartphones or look for ways to integrate them into experiences? Yeah, you know, I remember when smartphones first started becoming a thing, I, I, I would tell clients that the, you know, the last thing you want to do is to have people uh, pull out their smartphones because it means they are disengaged, that they're out of the experience. They drop out and they're doing something else, thinking about something else. But of course, now they're so ubiquitous and so much a part of most people's, I was going to say everyday lives, but everyday minutes <laughs> of their lives 
that you do have to think about how you incorporate that in. And so, you know, you, I'm sure you've heard the term Instagrammable. And so a yep. lot of experiences, they totally exist just to be Instagrammable places, right? Things like the Museum of Ice Cream or the Rose Mansion or 29 Rooms and these other things where they create these wonderful immersive experiences where people just want to take selfies and take pictures of each other uh, in them. But even outside of those, you know, one of the things we updated the book with is, is part of being cohesive, you know, the, the, that key uh, element is that you need to have a theme, right? And a theme makes an experience cohesive. If you don't have that good organizing principle of the experience, it means that, you know, it's eventually going to become everything but the kitchen sink in there. And one of the five design principles we had as part of theme was that you had to mix in memorabilia. And, you know, the people want physical things to remember their experiences by, whether it's a, a ticket to a wonderful performance or whether it's something that they buy at the end of that experience. But we added it and, and we updated it in this latest edition to say, well, it's really mix in memorabilia plus media, right? Recognize that people do want to share their experiences. They want to put it out there on media. And so how do you help them do that? I sort of hit using Disney as an example this whole, this whole time, because you know, it's not about Disney-fying your company, not necessarily, but you remember the old Kodak moments. Right. The yep. signs in the park where that you get, you know, here's the best view of the castle. Take your picture here. So we need to think about those sorts of things with media moments and get people to just uh, to, to, to know that this is the point at which they can take a great picture and then share it on social media. Yeah, I was actually in a brand that I think does an amazing experience, you know, is the Gaylord Properties Hotels yeah. that the Marriott's uh, manage. But just recently stayed in um, the Gaylord Nashville, and the, their summer theme is pirates and princesses. There were probably 50x marks the spot things yeah. where it was just that, just what Disney had done. And thinking about even this digital transformation, and you were talking about the magic bands earlier, and again, it's not all about Disney, but I, I'm sure you've seen just recently that Disney has announced they're doing away with the magic bands because they're taking it to a digital experience like we're talking about here, you know, to the phones. So right. they have done exactly what you're talking about now, right? They've just said, okay, we're not going to win at this. So now we're going to integrate it and take all those things from the magic band and integrate it into our experience on the phones. So people get your ideas wrong then around this when they think good experience means efficient transactions. And I really want to dive into this because I think this is important, that experience is meant to be memorable and meaningful. So how do you make a digital experience sufficiently memorable? All the principles apply whether you are talking physical experiences or digital experiences. You still need to make those digital experiences robust, cohesive, personal, dramatic, and, and potentially even transformative. But but so many people, when they like go online, they really just do merchandising, right? They're like, okay, here's all our products. Which one do you want? And that is never going to make for a memorable and, and certainly not a meaningful experience. So you have to think about how do you engage people in what you're doing? And there's many ways to do that. There, one of the things, of course, that happened with the COVID-19 pandemic over the past 15 months almost now is that uh, that a lot of people took physical experiences and brought them online. You know, one I can remember doing was the the Swamp Motel uh, had a wonderful 
online experience called uh, Plymouth Point, and they have several of these. They're out of the UK. You know where you are. You are using Google. You're using these search methods. You're going to these websites. You're figuring stuff out to be able to solve this mystery, basically, of what happened to uh, this woman, and try to prevent something bad happening to another one. And it has all of the the basic uh, uh, principles that we're talking about there. So it's not just, well, I'll say this, getting back to the 2020 edition where we talk about competing for customer time, attention, and money, what experiences are is the design of time. That's what an experience is, is that you intentionally design the time that customers spend with you. And you design that time digitally as well to then get back to the dramatic point, to have a dramatic structure, to have a structure that rises up to a climax and, and comes back down again. So many digital experiences are just flat, right? Nothing happens, right? You click here, you click there. There's never any momentum. There's never any rising action. There's not even an inciting incident of the dramatic structure. And so they'll never rise to the level of memorability unless you think about how you design the time in a way that that engages people, keeps them interested, keeps them going and creates that climax. So in the same way, the iPhone was really a platform for the App Store, right? So they created the App Store and really built the iPhone. How will people be using digital platforms, in your opinion, to bundle and buy experiences in the future? Well, interestingly, is that uh, is that a colleague of mine at the Platform Strategy Institute, Peter Evans and I, we just finished a multi-client study on experience platforms that we recognize that just as platforms revolutionize the the selling of of goods, such as eBay and Amazon, as well as the uh, selling of services with Uber, Lyft, Fiverr, TaskRabbit, and on and on the list could go, that they're increasingly becoming important in the the selling and and even delivery of experiences. So, uh, you know, so you look at once the the corona crisis hit that uh, Airbnb, went from the selling of experiences in a physical place to adding in all of these virtual experiences, the digital experiences that you could buy. Amazon added Amazon Explore. We we came up and, and tracked over 125 different experience platforms that have risen. Some of them have been around for several decades, like Red Balloon or Virgin Experience Days in the UK and so forth. But increasingly, they are being used by companies to extend their relationship with customers to offer them both digital and uh, physical experiences. And some of them are like operational platforms, you know, so I don't know if you know uh, John Padgett for your work on the Magic Band. Yes. Right. So John, you know, was one of the ones that I keenly influenced uh, way back when at, at Disney World to be able to you know, again, to, to lead to, I did, I did, wasn't actually involved in the project, but lead to that magic band. You know, when he recognized that he, that, it, that he couldn't quite get Disney to do enough of the customization they wanted, he moved over to Carnival Cruise as their chief experience and innovation officer and created the Ocean Medallion, right, which is an IoT device. Every guest on a cruise gets this uh, IoT device, this Ocean Medallion that allows them to identify who they are. Every employee has a tablet where, where when they get within range, up pops their name and their picture so you can work with them. And then it really is an operational experience platform to mass customize everything that's going on to that individual guest unit, whether an individual or a family, a wedding party, you know, whatever it might be. They even have the ability to 
remember things like when you're on the pool deck with your kids, your favorite drink is an iced tea with no lemon. When you're in the bar with your buddies, it's a mojito. But when you're in the restaurant with your spouse, it's a glass of Shiraz, right? Understand the digital context and what real market am I in at the moment? What might I want? You know, they give them personal experience invitations as they learn more about them to have an entire mass customized itinerary. It's one of the things that we came out with the platform study looking at is that that's a key thing is that we need to create mass customized itineraries for, for our guests so that they have this view of everything that's going on and that can actually adapt itself as you learn more about each individual customer. Wow. Yeah. And I think we all want that, right? I think that's part of the reason I have become a brand loyalist to so, mm-hmm. so many brands is because the more loyal I am, the more customized it is to me. Exactly. Uh, that, that is the heart of loyalty, Sean. Is that the way I like to say it is that if you recognize that every interaction you have with a customer is an opportunity to learn from them, and the more you learn about them and from them, the better you can customize. And the better you customize, the more they benefit. And the more they benefit, the more they're going to be willing to interact with you. And so you got this very tight, virtuous circle. That's what really customer centricity is really all about in my mind. And what, what true loyalty is about is that the loyalty comes not from bribing people by saying, okay, you buy 10, we'll give you your 11th one free, but from how you treat them as the individual that they are. Well, and, you know, we've done a lot of work, Joe, recently, and I have for 10 years in the healthcare space. And how do you get to a place? Because people are like, customization is so expensive. It's what I say the difference is, is configurability versus customized, right? But if you can build a digital platform and this experience platform that you're talking about, Joe, you can build in there easy configurability to appear to be very personalized and customized. Well, and not just peer, but be. And even though it's not like, it's not done from scratch for you. It's not craft customized, right? That's why I use the term mass customized, which is the subject of my uh, first book that I wrote and which led to the experience economy. So the key, as you say, is that configurability is you think about it like Lego building bricks. I mean, what can you build with Legos? Yeah. Anything you want, right? So you, you, want. you have a large number of bricks, different sizes, different shapes, different colors, and then you snap them together in different ways for different customers, right? That's what mass customization is all about. And the most powerful form of, of modularity is, in fact, not the what's called sectional modularity of Lego building bricks, but it's digital modularity, right? With digital technology, anything you digitize, you can customize. Once it enters the realms of zeros and ones, where you instantaneously change a zero to a one and vice versa, is that you can instantly, frictionlessly, costlessly, seamlessly mask customize that for every individual, whether it is the physical experiences that use a digital platform, as you're talking about, like Carnival does with Ocean Medallion, to customize those physical experiences, or whether it's an entirely digital experience that you can morph around the individual wants, needs, and desires, and and ever-changing circumstances of of individual guests. I love it. I hope our listeners are writing lots of notes as I am, because I think there's some really great, powerful things that, going back to the, the opening around what businesses are doing wrong, if they could just listen to these few simple things, that it could truly be, as you say, transformative. So I want to talk a little bit, you're working on another new concept about how a company can thrive forever through regenerative management. So what is that idea about and how does it impact parts of the business that are not consumer facing? 
Well, regenerative management is the brainchild of another colleague of mine, Kim Korn, who's been working for, uh, for, you know, for a long time and trying to help figure out how can companies survive forever? How can they stop the, the standards, you know, rise up and then fall into mediocrity and eventually fail? And so he's really looked at this you know, from every angle, developed a set of first principles of what companies need to do to, to really change their way of managing to thrive forever. And so one of the key principles, I sort of think it was the most important of them, is that companies today need to have a meaningful purpose. They need to have a meaningful purpose that is the raison d'etre, right? The reason for existence in the world that goes beyond making a buck, that your purpose should never be to make money, right? Money is the measure of how well you fulfill your purpose, of the value you create inside of each one of your individual customers. And, and what a purpose does, it aligns everybody together. So you don't have to have all this command and control managing of micromanaging people, telling them exactly what they need to do. We have this, this sort of North Star that says, okay, this is where we're going. This is what, what we're doing. This is, this is the, the proposition to which we all ascend. And when they do that, then you then make decisions based off of, does it better help you fulfill your purpose as an organization? Everybody has their own individual uh, purpose, whether they recognize it or not, or thought about it or articulated that, right, it's there. And so you want to attract the people that align with, not exactly the same, but that's why I think the word align is so good, right, is that you're going in the same direction, even though you're all your own individuals, and you come together for this purpose of creating economic value for, I'll say, not just customers, but for humanity. Right, that that's what it's about is creating value for humanity to bettering the world through the purpose that you have. And that's the core thing that you need to have. And there's there's many others, obviously, but the core thing you need to have to instill a way of managing that regenerates itself, right? Which means you constantly yep. have to innovate. You have to come up with new things that innovate, you know, faster than your ecosystem, or eventually that ecosystem is going to swamp you. And again, you're going to fall into mediocrity and eventually fail. Well, and I think that's why, again, we've honed in on this concept of the experience ecosystem, right? And that these can't be apart. They can't be separate. They have to be together. Innovation has to be a part of it. I mean, I loved what you were talking about with the meaningful purpose because we actually call it every company needs to have an experience promise mm -hmm. as their foundation. And when you do that, everything's built around it and that that can move move forward to that. I really want to have a little bit of fun here with you, and I'd love to apply your lessons from your work to some new marketing developments that are happening in the world today. And I want to ask you about the transformation economy. So do you see evidence of a rising trend in the importance of experiences becoming transformational, going beyond the actual moment and aiming at transforming a person? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's exactly what I mean when I talk about those five elements. And the last one is even transformative, that we can create experiences that guide people to change, that help them achieve their aspirations. And that's what a transformation is. And it's fifth and final economic offering in this progression of economic value, right? The core framework of the experience economy. It's a core of this progression of economic value that we talk about that is the core framework of the experience economy where we go from an agrarian economy based off commodities through an industrial economy based off of goods through a service economy. Today, we're in an experience economy, but hot on its heels is this transformation economy that people increasingly 
desire experiences that change them. And of course, we, we only ever change through the experiences that we have, right? You know the phrase that we're all the product of our experiences. That's only ever how we change. But now they're saying, you know, we, I want help. I, want, I, I don't just read self-help books and do it myself. I want help from companies to guide me in achieving my aspirations. And the transformation economy, therefore, is hot on the heels of the experience economy. You know, uh, healthcare, as your experiences in healthcare, is all about transforming, you know, to go yeah. from sick to well or to maintain my well-being. Uh, and I've done, a, you know, I've done more work with hospitals than probably any other industry, working with an insurance company right now on healthcare transformation. And, you know, higher education is about transformation. Fitness centers are about transformation. Management consulting, B2B transformations, you know, that, that people hire. Uh, coaches of all stripes, whether a, a life coach, an executive coach, a personal coach, a, a golfing coach, a tennis coach, whatever it is. Nobody ever hires a coach unless they want to be transformed. And that's the sort of the, that's the ultimate level of value that you can create uh, is to help somebody achieve their aspirations. Yeah. And so knowing that and knowing that, you know, we're moving to the transformation economy and, and people want those experience and that transformation, you say that no business should make money their objective. So how should they view or think about money? So money, again, is the measure of how well you fulfill your purpose. And if your purpose is one at which you cannot make money, well, you know, you're, you're not going to be in business for very long. You need because money measures the value that you create for your customers, right? What they're willing to pay for that value, that they value your economic offering more than the money in their in their pocket. And so you've got to use it as that measure, but not make it the the end all be all. That's the key mistake that many companies do and then that take them off down, you know, bad paths that eventually get to the point where they're not providing value that people want because times change, uh, technologies change, people's desires change, uh, competition changes, and you got to stay ahead of them with that purpose that you have. Thanks. I love that. And so one of the things we do on the Combustion Chronicles, Joe, is we have some fun with these things called the Combustion Questions. It's three random questions and just ask you to, to say the first thing that comes to your mind and have some fun with it. So, right. Joe, Combustion Question number one. If you had a giraffe that you needed to hide, where would you hide it? I would hide it in the uh, the trees around my uh, property so they would just sort of blend in with them. Awesome. Do you have lots of acreage back there so they could have lots to eat too? Yes, yes. They'd be able to eat the, <laughs> eat the tree. And partly I say that because I'm, I'm looking out at this uh, egret on my, on the, uh, right on the lake here outside my, uh, my home office. <laughs> so awesome. I, I can't, really came to mind. <laughs> yeah. All right. Question number two, what job would you be terrible at? Oh, so very many. My wife would tell you cleaning. <laughs> <Being a janitor. laughs> that would be terrible, terrible at. Awesome. Okay, so the third one, and this one gets a little bit more difficult, but I, I think you can handle this, Joe. What do you think about pickles? Ooh, I love, I love sweet pickles in the refrigerator so that they're hard. I love them in particular on uh, Braunschweiger uh, sandwiches, which my wife just finds it amazing that I, I'm such a picky eater, but I love Braunschweiger, right? Liverwurst. And just a, a liverwurst sandwich with cold, hard pickles on top of it is one of my favorite lunches to have. 
Well, Michael, uh, one of my colleagues, is so excited. He loves pickles. So (laughs) you and him can have some good pickle stories. Well, Joe, again, thank you so much for being on the Combustion Chronicles with us. You know, this last minute or so, I'd love for you to share where people can find your book, your website, social media, because I think everyone needs to be following you. So where can we find you at, Joe? I appreciate that, uh, Sean. Uh, yeah, they can find uh, books, obviously, anywhere books unsold, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, everywhere, including first mass customization, the experience economy, authenticity, which we didn't get a chance to talk about, and uh, another book, Infinite Possibility, Creating Customer Value on the Digital Frontier. You can LinkedIn with me, right, slash Joe Pine. Uh, happy to talk there. Uh, our website is uh, www.strategichorizons.com, Strategic Horizons with an S. And on Twitter, I'm uh, at Joe Pine. Again, thank you, Joe, for being with us here. And um, to all our listeners, I hope you really enjoyed um, all these amazing nuggets that Joe gave us. So thank you again, Joe. My pleasure. Thank you, Sean. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Combustion Chronicles. Let's keep the conversation going by connecting on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. To learn more about the world of experience ecosystems, go to mofi.co, where you'll discover ideas and resources to help you ignite your own experience revolution. Be sure to check out my book, Kiss Your Dragons, Radical Relationships, Bold Heart Sets, and Changing the World, available now at Amazon. Then head over to seanason.com to engage resources, a discussion guide, and information about everything from self-paced training to personal coaching. You can find this episode recap at seanason.com. We know you lead a busy life, so if you're driving, exercising, or maybe just blowing your own shit up, don't worry, we've already taken the notes for you. Each recap is filled with exclusive guest information, episode themes, quotes, resources, and more. And remember, please subscribe, rate, and review. As always, stay safe and be well.